Welcome to The Socialist Program. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. Tomorrow marks the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City and the Pentagon. This event was the first time that the U.S. mainland had suffered a military attack from a foreign adversary since the War of 1812. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to this special episode that we're releasing first for patrons only. We appreciate very much all your support and couldn't do this without you. I'm Nicole Roussel, here with our host, Brian Becker. We will talk today about how September 11th and the response by the Bush administration changed U.S. and global politics. This was a pivotal moment in U.S. history that reshaped U.S. foreign policy and had far-reaching implications for civil rights and civil liberties for the Muslim community and for people and nations throughout the world. We believe we have a unique perspective on these events and wanted to make sure to discuss this with our supporters. We'll release the full episode to the public soon. Brian, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. You were in Manhattan and, you know, for younger people especially, let's first talk about what happened and what it was like in New York. Sure. I think it's important that you mention that for younger people, when I saw that the Marines who were killed at the attack on the Kabul airport 10 days ago or two weeks ago, some of them were 19, 20 years old. They weren't born. They weren't actually even alive when the September 11th attacks happened. And it just helps us all remember that even what we consider to be recent history may be for some ancient history. So I was in Manhattan. I had a 15-month-old daughter at the time who happened to I don't know, just accidentally hit the remote and turn the TV on so that we were able to watch the second plane hit the second tower of the World Trade Center. And what made the situation so surreal for us was that we lived not too far from the World Trade Center. We lived on 8th Avenue, and you could look straight down 8th Avenue and see both towers, both towers on fire. And my father-in-law, who sadly passed away recently because of COVID, his fiance worked on one of the upper floors of the World Trade Center, and she was still alive when the planes hit the towers, and she was able to make a call actually to him and said, it's very dark in here, but we're okay. She wasn't injured. But of course, you know, within a short amount of time, maybe two hours, both of those buildings collapsed. And these were the tallest buildings in Manhattan. So the impact was so dramatic. Not only were thousands of people killed, big parts of lower Manhattan seemed to be on fire. There was soot everywhere, even where we were, and we were you know, 20 blocks north. It was chaos. Of course, the subway stopped working. 
anybody who wanted to go home from Manhattan, meaning going to Staten Island or to the Bronx or Queens, Brooklyn, for those who don't know New York, these are pretty far away parts of New York City. You had to walk. Nothing was going. Nothing was moving. And doctors and nurses started volunteering. There were places set up all over lower Manhattan where doctors and nurses were ready and you know available to take the wounded, except there were no wounded. Everybody died. And I mean, there may have been some wounded, but everybody who were in those buildings or the hundreds of firefighters who were racing into the World Trade Center heroically and racing up while other people were trying to come down. Many of those firefighters died. A lot of first responders died. And it was a surreal scene. And one of the things that happened over and over again for the next couple days was there would be moments of chaos and terror in the streets of Manhattan because we're all walking, there's no public transport, meaning now tens of thousands of people are in the streets, and somebody would yell, there's a bomb or there's an explosion, and thousands of people would start running either north or start running south. You didn't even know where you were running. You just, as you know, large numbers of people start running, you run with them. You don't know what's going on. That's what Manhattan was like in the first days. And, you know, within about two or three days, people who were progressive, and myself included, we started the Answer Coalition on September 14th, just three days after September 11th. And we were that part of the anti-globalization movement that had planned protests for September 29th, 2001 in Washington, coinciding with the annual meeting of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. These were the anti-globalization protests that were ensuing after the Seattle mass protests in 1999. We formed a new coalition of some of those forces who wanted to go forward with the demonstration. Others in that movement, in the anti-globalization movement, made the argument, now is not the time to protest. The country's in you know, grieving or angry, Bush's approval rating within 24 hours went to 90%, which was shocking given how unpopular Bush was, you know, just prior to it. But the country was gripped with sense that there must be revenge, there must be retaliation against those who had committed this crime against the people of the United States and against the country and against the iconic symbols of American power, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. The fourth plane that didn't make it was scheduled to smash into the Capitol building, into Congress. So we, those of us who are progressive, were starting to gather at Union Square in Lower Manhattan. And even though it was very difficult because the political climate had become so right-wing and so rabidly pro-war, people started singing or chanting, war is not the answer which, you know, is pretty vague, very not really an anti-imperialist chant. But those of us who were in the anti-globalization movement who wanted to go forward but change the focus of the September 29, 2001 demonstration to make it anti-war because we knew that Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld and Condoleezza Rice and the whole neocon team that dominated the Bush White House were going to really use the events on September 11th, cynically manipulate 
the American people's grief and rage to do something else, which is to go to war against Iraq, which had nothing to do with September 11th, and then to go to war against Syria and Libya and against the resistance forces in Lebanon and against Somalia. And finally, the big prize, of course, was going to be Iran. We knew that this was going to happen. So as people started to gather sort of meekly saying war is not the answer, we decided to go forward with the September 29th demonstration under the slogan, not just that war is not the answer, but our main chant was no justice, no peace, U.S. out of the Middle East. And by the way, we were really pretty roundly condemned for going forward with an anti-government protest under those circumstances. But 25,000 people, in fact, came out, which was, in a way, restarted the progressive and anti-war movement in the United States after September 11th. So that was happening, too. So there was sort of chaos. There was bedlam. Progressive forces were starting to regather kind of quickly in a few days at Union Square. But generally speaking, the country had moved into what everyone knew was going to be a new, a completely new period. But no one knew exactly what it was going to look like. And Nicole, now that we have 20 years to look back and see what actually happened, I think, and this is what we meant in the beginning when you introduced the show, that we have a slightly unique perspective. You could talk about 9-11 from the point of view of the war in Afghanistan or how Bush cynically manipulated it against Iraq. You could talk about it in terms of the negative impact it had on Muslim communities in the United States who were the target of far-reaching FBI intervention, surveillance, spying, arrests. You could talk about it in terms of the amount of money that was spent. And I want to talk about how much money was spent in the so-called war on terror. But the point that I'm making is that what we believe is perhaps distinctive about our own assessment, looking back 20 years, is that the United States used the September 11th events not simply to go after Iraq. And of course, Iraq had nothing to do with September 11th. But it was this reshaping of a neocon foreign policy that over time became the dominant foreign policy, almost the consensus foreign policy of the U.S. government, Republican and Democrat alike. That's all for this preview. Become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 